1: Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And um, tonight I'm going to talk a little bit um, about the uh, the life and the career of the eminent um, psychoanalyst and social philosopher Eric Fromm. Um, one of the reasons I'm going to talk about him is that um, he's a, a pivotal figure of uh, mid-century thought um, in uh, the, the 20th century, obviously. Um, and also, one that I, th- I think is immensely overlooked, um, intellectual historians of the twentieth century have a, a number of figures they they tend to focus on. Um, if you've ever read any of the um, the works of Tony Judd, for example, he looks at the uh, kind of the French philosophers, um, Sartre, Camus, Raymond Aron. Um, and uh, um, the Pol- Polish figures like Leszek um and he's very interested in George Orwell. But uh, a number of um, the figures from the Frankfurt School of Social Research get overlooked. Uh, many of them aren't very fashionable um, anymore. They kind of had their heyday, I think, in the uh, late 1960s, early 1970s, when... Um, People like Herbert Marcuse, for example, uh, was the the voice of the New Left um, on university campuses uh, across America and uh, and Europe, and particularly in uh, West Germany. And um, the uh, Frankfurt School has very much um, declined in popularity. But I'm going to I'm going to make the case for Eric Fromm, um, and uh, I've I've been um, kind of a, an adherent of his work for uh, many years, and I'll keep my inbox periodically clogs up with the International Eric Fromm Society Journal. So, yes, yeah, it's a passion of mine, I guess. Um, so who was he? Well, he was born in 1900. He was a, a German uh, Jew who um, was born in Frankfurt, am um, main... Um, and he trained in psychoanalysis in the, the 1920s. And the uh, period, I guess, from the end of the First World War up until probably the mid-1960s This uh, is kind of the golden age of uh, psychoanalysis, um, really until it starts to become far more challenged by more research-based um, uh, methods of uh, inquiry, probably from the 1970s onwards so he's growing up in this period of time and studying um, uh, in this period of time where psychoanalysis is um, seen as an orthodoxy and he's a freudian as well so in short and i I say this really um, as a um, as a layman um, for those that aren't kind of acquainted with psychoanalysis that it is a therapeutic um, investigation of the unconscious mind and the largely irrational drives that are uh, mysteries to us um, that are ordinarily based in some kind of childhood trauma um, and that um, these are the the basis of of neurosis. Um, So uh, Eric Fromm uh, took what freud had argued and um adapts it and, and develops it um he was one of the generation of pro- post freudian uh, psychoanalysts who argued that yeah a lot of what freud said appears to be valid so there's kind of no way necessarily of empirically validating it because much of it is kind of observational and anecdotal um, but also that there are other reasons for um, trauma, other reasons for neurosis, other reasons for psychotic behaviour, uh, drug addiction, suicide and dysfunctional um, stuff like that. And he argued that he tried to create a synthesis, really, of Freudian and Marxist thought. So um, later on in his book, The Same Society, and I'm going to come on to this, he, he argued that um, individuals who perhaps have who have not um experienced childhood trauma in the classical Freudian sense can still be uh the um exhibit um neurotic traits exhibit uh, neurotic and psychotic behaviors because they're surrounded by an alienating society which you know is a, a far more marxist kind of concept and it led him in the same society to question whether. Uh, capitalism and all its productive power was indeed good for the soul at all, I and mean, well, he argued really was not very. And Eric Fromm had to be uh, one of this entire generation of German Jewish socialist intellectuals um, to flee Nazism by nineteen in 1933, um, as if being Jewish in the eyes of the Nazis wasn't bad enough. Um, espousing um, the works of both Marx and Freud at the same time um, really did put him on a very high on the hit list. Um, other intellectuals who who left were Theodor Adorno, Herbert Marcuse, and some of the the very big um, names at the Frankfurt School of Social Research. The Frankfurt School itself is. Um, there's not enough time really in this podcast to, to talk about it, but one of the kind of the real cradles of uh, radical 20th century thought, and it is where the many of the kind of the more, the more uh, influential ideas we have about um, sociology, about cultural theory, about examining um, how individuals uh, interact with um, cultural uh, phenomena, um, and how um you know hegemonic ideas like capitalism and communism sustain themselves um through culture they really um originate uh, to a greater extent from the observations of the frankfurt school now a lot of the stuff that uh, many of the, the leading proponents of the frankfurt school have uh, espoused have you know largely become superseded and um, have been um, kind of replaced by more, shall I say, more adequate theory as the 20th century has rolled on. But it doesn't mean to say that they're not valuable. I mean, after the um, Second World War, particularly, I think you can probably say from the 1960s onwards, theory itself seems to dominate university departments. You know, if you are going to be studying Shakespeare or Dickens, or E. B. Thompson's *History and Making of the English Working Class*, or what have you. You you do it through the perspective of theory, um, whatever that that be. And it's normally something that um, has originated from this kind of meeting of psychoanalysis, Marxism, um, and then later kind of postmodernism as well. But God knows there isn't enough time in the world to talk about that. So this, this, the, 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 um, the Frankfurt School is enormously important. And if you are um, looking at anything from a critical or a theoretical perspective, it's worth really uh, looking at some of the core texts of the Frankfurt School. So you would want to read perhaps um, One Dimensional Man by Herbert Marcuse um, or The Culture Industry by Theodore Adorno. Um, but coming back to um, Eric Fromm. When Eric Fromm was, um, he makes this transition to the USA and starts to um, study at Columbia and teach and lecture at Columbia University. And um, America during the 1930s is this massive recipient of talent from Germany, you know, Germany's loss is America's gain. Uh, you, people like, from working in academia, but you've also got, you know, everybody um, from, um, you know, people like Fritz Lang, for example, the great um, director of Metropolis, uh, making his way to Hollywood, and countless um, emigres, you know, directors and writers like Billy Wilder um, fleeing uh, Germany and then later Austria after the Anschluss um so Eric Fromm's not a kind of an isolated figure. It's well known that there is this kind of wave of, of intellectual um, emigres from from Europe, and he um, spends his spends the, the Second World War in um, in America, and in 1940 he writes uh, one of his one of his, his more famous books, um, The Fear of Freedom. In that he tries to use psychoanalysis to explain the appeal of authoritarianism and fascism. And this is um, something that was uh, a very popular idea uh, you know, between, the, say, the 30s and the, the 50s. Another great proponent.
0: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping.
1: of this explanation of um, fascism is wilhelm reich who uh, essentially says that it is uh, down to some sort of kind of repressed sexuality um, and his he writes in his book the mass psychology of fascism, and he argued in it that really um, Nazi voters were looking for some kind of um, stern father figure that was often represented within uh, German culture, and that Authoritarianism and sexual repression seem to go hand in hand, which are all, all wonderful theories, but you know whether they're based on any any real evidence is is questionable. The thing you have to bear in mind about Wilhelm Reich is that also he had a theory about um, orgones, sort of this orgasmic energy that could be trapped and harnessed in a, 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 a sort of a tinfoil-lined box, and then directed at clouds in order to. Uh, burst clouds and create rainfall in the desert if you've ever seen uh, cloud bursting by Kate Bush featuring Donald Sutherland it's a recreation of Wilhelm Reich's um, experiments and he then began to commune with UFOs so you're you got to take what he says with a pinch of salt however Eric Fromm I believe had far more kind of cogent and coherent and, and meaningful observations on, on fascism. He said that there was, uh, like Wilhelm Reich, he did, did believe there was a kind of a mass psychology of fascism, but he said it was more to do with um, the the alienation of individuals um, by alienation. He meant that um, one of the things that one of the transformative effects of capitalism was that it um, alienated individuals from the means of production. Therefore, you know, craft industries had long since died out, people had worked in factories, and then, you know, there were periodic economic depressions where people don't even wind up doing that. And so people's creative forces, their ability to do things, their ability to see the products of their labours at the end of the day uh, is rapidly dwindling. Um, And this is a profoundly disorienting and fearful experience and therefore retreating to some kind of imagined notion of the past um, is very comforting. And that's what Hitler represented, uh, security in a, a, a constantly changing and insecure world. The the book, however, as I mentioned earlier on that Eric Fromm writes, that I think is perhaps his his masterpiece, um in 1955. He writes The Sane Society. And The Sane Society um was written um during this kind of ex- moment of explosive American wealth and affluence, um, the likes of which I, I suppose. Um, America's never really quite seen again in this kind of rapid increase in living standards, consumer choice and, and affluence. And he said, he said well, in, in the midst of all this material abundance, um, you still have high incidences of violent crime, of depression, of neurosis and uh, mental illness and suicides, particularly he observed, and uh, you know, drug addiction and, and alcoholism. He said, well, why is this? And his argument was that whilst America and, or, you know, America has the kind of the apogee, the pinnacle of capitalist production, whilst it can produce um, all manner of material goods very efficiently and can drive up living standards what it can't do is provide for deeper human needs. And Eric Fromm said that these are the need for um, authenticity, to be able to express oneself authentically to others, to be have meaningful relationships, friendships, um, the ability to to love and to be loving in an authentic way. And he said, that if if anything, what modern capitalism does is it steers us in a completely different direction, and it Encourages people to be inauthentic. Eric Fromm uh, identified this a notion called the marketing personality. And he said that in every mode of capitalism, you have a particular character type emerges. He says, you know, under the um, 19th century mode of capitalism, when it was all about kind of expansion and building and factories and railways, you had to have a, a very austere personality type emerge, The you know, the Victorian bourgeois gentleman who was um, emotionally and sexually repressed because his entire focus was on conserving and hoarding wealth, which was hard come by. In the post-war era, we see the development of what Eric Fromm calls the marketing personality, and these are individuals um, who have to be in a constant process of selling themselves themselves, they have business cards, they have a, a narrative about themselves, a story of success that they like people to know, and so uh, they engage in this endless superficiality, the wear a mask, if you will, and uh, project a, an image of success which really does not is not kind of consistent with um, inner realities, inner feelings, and senses of doubt and loneliness and This he said is the root to madness. Um, you only need to look at modern versions of this, reality television or things like The Apprentice or what have you, to realise that there is still, um, that you know, this this culture of the marketing personality is still endemic really within Western, perhaps even you could even say global society now, um, as this is, you know, this kind of culture is a worldwide phenomenon. Eric from um liked to integrate um you know he was obviously this fusion of Marxist and freudian thinking but also he liked to return to um his the the, the talmudic uh, law um uh, of the jewish faith and he liked to look at the um stories of the um the torah the, the old testament um and see uh, that there were um, notions within there which could be argued to be universal human truths and he says particularly if you look at the idea of the Garden of Eden he says what the Garden of Eden is and you know, Genesis is, is a metaphor that Adam and Eve when realising their nakedness um, ultimately they were the problem for them is they realise that they are separate from nature and he says that well, this is true of human beings human beings are from nature we have evolved um, from nature, but now we become self-aware. We have um, the ability to um, see ourselves as separate from nature, and thus this sets up some kind of personality crisis. This means that um, he said, "Man, the man is the only animal for which his own existence is a problem that he must solve." Uh, and um, we uh, can never return back to nature. We can't go. Back down the evolutionary ladder, and so we are stuck with this dilemma of trying to find meaning in the world. Now that we are, we are who we are. What do we do with that? How do we create purpose? And he argued that uh, modern consumerist capitalism doesn't it doesn't really address that issue. Not that it's completely useless. You know, it's good for making things but the the question of what do we do in the world who are we how are we to be um, what's our purpose it's it can't do any of that and hence it leads to ever greater degrees of um emotional distress now there are obviously um probably a range of other interpretations as to why you know people are happy people are sad i mean of course it's going to be but I think one of, the, um, you know, one of the values of the Sane Society is it presents a very kind of interesting and coherent argument. At the end, Eric Fromm um, puts forward a number of very radical suggestions about um, what can be done. Um, he says ultimately that he, he, he hopes that one day some kind of new culture will emerge that will be kind of far more in tune with humanistic needs. Um, but uh, taking a quick glance at the papers, I'd have to say that that is yet to occur. Anyway, that's, um, I guess, kind of my my book suggestion for the month. I, I'd suggest everyone go out and uh, grab a copy of The Sane Society. You'll uh, have, have some, some valuable insights if you do, I, I genuinely believe. And I I would, my personal uh, (laughs) hopes, if you will, is that Eric Fromm is far more widely recognised as being one of the pivotal thinkers of the 20th century. And I think for a lot of the time he's he's, um, slightly um, seen as a, a peripheral figure, but that he certainly isn't. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a
2: budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus,